Welcome, church. Let us pray together. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Heavenly Father, I don't know what each and every single individual here, our members and those who are listening, what their week was like. But Lord, we are here today because of one thing, and that's to worship you and to glorify your name. And I pray, God, that whatever we are feeling right now, that we will put our feelings and our emotions as a secondary thing. But the first and foremost, God, is our choice, the choice that we make today to worship you. We have made the decision here today on the Sabbath to come to church and to worship you and you alone. I pray, God, as we're here today to worship you. I pray, God, as you transition to the message, as we're here to worship you, O Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts, O God, that will be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. For God, you are our rock and our redeemer, O Lord. Father, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you so much for your mercy. That when we come and humble ourselves and we repent, Father, you are here with us to forgive us of all sins and to draw near, closer to your heart, O God. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We give you all the glory. Pray all these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ, and I pray. And God's people pray, amen and amen. Today's title, the message is called, How God's People Must Stand Together. How God's People Must Stand Together. Our main passage today is found in Genesis chapter 18. But I'm going to go ahead and begin from Genesis 13. I'm going to speak about Genesis 13 real quick. And then we're going to go ahead and we're going to talk about Genesis 18, and then we'll get right into today's message. We have Genesis 13 for you here on the screen. And the story, the context of the story is, of course, you know, this is a guy named Abram. This is before he becomes Abraham. This is a story about Abram and his nephew Lot between family members. So now let's begin, starting from Genesis 13, starting from verse 1. It begins with this. So Abram went up from Egypt to Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and silver and gold. From Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier, and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, verse 5, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose, between Abram's herders and Lot's, the Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. 
Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zor was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abraham lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. So there's a lot to unfold here. In the beginning, we're introduced with three characters, right? Abram, his wife, we know her name is Sarai. And then we see that there's his nephew, Lot. And we know that they're both very wealthy. They're both very rich. They have so many possessions and people that they had to, that between the people, that there was quarreling between them. They weren't fighting. Abram was not fighting with Lot. But their people, they had quarreling with each other. Therefore, Abram, we see here the heart of Abram. Abram is very humble. He says, Lot, you choose. Even though he is like a father figure, instead of saying, I go this way and then you go this way. It's like when we both get a meal. I say, I'm going to eat this and you eat this. Instead of that, he gives the younger one the option to choose. And then with humility, he goes and he says, I'll go in the other direction. But we see here, starting from verse 10, we don't have to go there, but we see that Lot, we see his character, his heart. He is kind of greedy, right? He saw the land that was before him, the Jordan, and it said it reminded us, and this is the key, in verse 10, the land of Egypt. Again, whenever you see the word Egypt in the Bible, it's talking about the land, the worldly land. It's not the spiritual land, but it's the worldly desires of our eyes. That's against, that's the opposite of the kingdom of God. And then Lot goes in that direction, and then Abraham goes to the land of Canaan, which is the promised land. And we see here, this is important for us to know, Genesis 13, because we see that the land that, that Lot, well, we call him Lot, Lot the, the land that Lot he's going to is a place called Sodom and Gomorrah. And Sodom and Gomorrah is a place as Christians, we must know what this place is all about. So again, remember Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot, he's in Sodom and the city of Sodom. It's two cities, cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Fast forward, let's go to Genesis 18. Let's continue reading. The title, the heading says, Abraham pleads for Sodom. Remember, his name has changed. It's no longer Abram, it's Abraham. Let's go, verse 16. When the man got up to leave, they looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham walked toward with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become great and a powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Again, the kingdom of God is all about doing the right thing, right and justice. The kingdom of darkness is not. It's the opposite. So we see that God is, is promising that through Abraham, he's going to do what is right and just. Verse 20, Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great 
and their sins so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The man turned away and went towards Sodom. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you, and this is very brave for Abraham to do, he's talking to God, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? He's talking about his nephew, Lot, who is there. He's looking out for his nephew. Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of the earth do right? The Lord said, Okay, Abraham, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Right, he's being very subtle, five less than 50. He could have just said 45. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, God is very blunt. 45 there, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord. Abraham is getting so bold. He's getting bolder. What if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? In his mind, he's thinking, please, Lord. Let there be ten. Let your family members be righteous. He's just thinking. He answered, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. We see that he is bargaining like what we did in Thailand with the t-shirts where we were bargaining for the cheaper price. He's, he's talking to God. He's pleading with God for the sake of ten. And the, the final number was ten. And here's a spoiler. In Genesis 19, God goes and he enters. He sends two angels to see the city. It was so terrible, filled with sin, that God, he destroys the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah with the two angels. Ten righteous individuals could not be found in this place. At most, only four was found. What was the four? It was Lot, his wife, and the two daughters that he had. The sons-in-law, whom the daughters were about to get married to, they thought he was joking. He's like, ah, stop joking, Lord. Uncle, or father, no, not uncle, father. Stop joking. And then we know the spoiler. God destroys the city of Sodom and Gomorrah with the burning sulfur. So the story in Genesis 18 is such a tragedy. And the lesson that we can take from this passage from Genesis 13 leading up to Genesis 18 and 19. The lesson here is this, that we must stand united together as a church. A lot of times, maybe it's a good idea for us to divide, for us to do this, do this, do that. But the best thing is for us to stick together. 
In horror movies, you see the worst thing to do. You go that way, I go this way. And then you both get killed. Why can't you go together? I don't understand. Just go together. But we see that when we don't stand united together, that the devil comes and he destroys God's people. We must stand together. That's the lesson that we can learn from here. We can either stand together for righteousness and holiness, or we can stand divided in sin. That's what we see in Proverbs 1. Those who walk in righteousness, who don't stand with the wicked, or those who stand with the righteous. So the question that I have is, man and woman of God, will we stand united together, protecting one another, standing united for good, or standing for evil? I would like to show a clip. But one challenge stops them in their tracks. A giant petrel. They try to flee, but running isn't an emperor's strong point. A slip is all the petrel needs. The chick is grabbed by his neck feathers but the down just falls away. They form a defensive circle and prepare to stand their ground. Despite their chick-like appearance, they are close to a meter tall. Quite a size, even for a giant petrel. The chick towers to full height, protecting those behind. His defiance buys time. It's a standoff. Then, as if from nowhere, an Adeli, the feistiest penguin in the world. He fearlessly puts himself between the chicks and the petrol. Even petrels don't mess with the delis. Their plucky rescuer accompanies the chicks to the sea. Here are they, right? You see the one that came, the other one? It's like... As we get into today's points, I'm going to divide it into two parts. One through three is going to be on the phrase, be slow. And then four to six, half time, and then four to six is going to be about being quick. Again, be slow and be quick. Starting with point number one, but before, again, the points, I want us to add this phrase, when together. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, when together? Starting with number one, be slow to anger. Now, I'm not just talking about anger. I'm talking about destructive emotions. And it always comes down to spirit versus the flesh. It's like Batman versus Superman. It's, it always comes down. As Christians, it comes down to spirit versus my flesh. It says in John chapter 3, verse 6, that flesh gives birth to flesh, 
But the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. We see Jesus speaking in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 41. He says, the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He's talking to his disciples at the Garden of Gethsemane before he's about to be crucified on the cross. Before the soldiers come and they take him to be a prisoner. He says in Colossians chapter 2 verse 13, that when you are dead in your sins, And in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. So as Christians, we understand that we are no longer bound by the flesh. Romans 1, we spoke about during Bible study. It speaks about the people who live in the flesh. We see in the world. We see the individuals, the people, our coworkers, the people that we live with, our family members. We see even ourselves, even our past. Once, back in the day, before we met Jesus Christ, we were depraved in our mind. They have depraved minds. It speaks of wickedness and godlessness. People who refuse, they, they refuse to acknowledge Jesus Christ as a Lord and Savior. They suppress the truth by their wickedness, by having a depraved mind. And we, let us go to Romans 8. Verse 9 to 17. We understand in the book of Romans, it speaks about are you for God or are you living against God? In verse 9 to 17, it tells us, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ lives in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh. To live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit, that we are God's children. Now, if you are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs, heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. This whole passage, to make it short, is saying the spirit of Christ, Christ lives in you. Therefore, we must live by the spirit, not by the flesh, not by our our emotions and our feelings. It teaches us not to be foolish by living in the flesh, but to walk by the Spirit. What are some examples of the flesh? Anger, jealousy, depression. Again, there's good jealousy and there's destructive jealousy. We know that God is a jealous God. Jealousy is not a bad thing. But things of the flesh are anger and fear, jealousy, depression. 
the things that are destructive to us as human beings. Psalm 29, 10 through 11 tells us the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. But in other translation, any T translation says, by he over the engulfing waters. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses people with peace. So whenever you are going through depression, whenever you're having a hard time, when you feel that the water is over, you remember the time in the Philippines when there was water and literally the water was up to and we were driving through it. Even at times when we feel over flood, flooded with our depression and attack of our emotions, we must remember that God, he sits enthroned over the engulfing waters. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. He is a God that gives you peace. So today, Whatever you are feeling right now, whatever emotional depression or anxiety you are feeling right now, know that he is king enthroned forever and he gives you peace today. Accept it in faith. Psalm 29. Isaiah 41.10. One of my favorite passages says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And James 1, 19. Slow to become angry. So point number one, be slow to anger. Point number two, be slow to becoming number one. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm number two. And say, you're number one. Numero uno. Come on. And you say, Daniel, you are the last. It's okay, Dan. Matthew 20, 16 tells us, so the first, the last shall be first, and the first will be last. So Andy, say, Daniel, you'll be number one. Okay, good. The world says be number one. But in your mind, in your heart, and in your conduct, you must remain humble. The scripture tells us that we must be clear-minded, that we must be alert, that we must be humble in heart, that we must show our humility in our conduct, in our actions. That's what it says in James 1.19. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. The kingdom of God, the kingdom that we abide in, is the upside-down kingdom. Again, we talked about Matthew 20, 16. The last will be first, and the first will be last. The kingdom of God is not about first, second, or third. But the kingdom of God is only this, that we finish together. Let's watch this clip. Uno de los grandes protagonistas hoy aquí. 
So these are two triathlon athletes, and this is just an amazing story. And the testimony of Diego Ventriga, he says, James Teagle, the one who was in the front, and he made that wrong turn, but he, was in, he said he was, in the, he was in front of me the whole time. And therefore he stopped, and he said, you deserve to be first. And then he has such integrity and character that he said, you go. And that is the clip that we just saw of James Teagle winning first place because Diego, he realized that, listen, it's not about first, second, third, it's about integrity. So again, be slow to becoming number one. Philippians 2, chapter 2, verse 3 to 4, it tells us, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, what? Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you, not some of you, each of you, every single one of you, to the interest of the others. Let us remain humble. Let us put others first. Be slow in becoming number one. Be opposite to what the world says. Be number one. Ronnie, you have 4.0? Go to 1.0. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> On his phone, he has 4.0 he's trying to motivate himself. It's good. Good. Be number one, Ronnie. But remember Matthew 20, 16. No, I'm kidding. It's good to try hard and it's good to be first. But I'm talking about in the kingdom of God, I'm talking about humility. Valuing others' interests above your own. Amen? Which leads to point number three. The last part before I have time. The last part of phrase, be slow, is be slow to Isolation. Can we turn to your neighbor and say, be slow to isolation. John 10, 11 through 15. Again, be, when together, be slow to isolation. John 10, 11 through 15 tells us, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The higher hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. That's what the devil does. He comes and he attacks the body and he tries to divide the body to isolate that individual, to make clicks. The man runs away because he has a higher hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as a father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. The, uh, the enemy attacks strongly to the one who separated from the flock, just like the video that we saw with the penguin. Imagine if one of them decided to be brave. Oh, I got this. And they're ah, destroyed. Annihilation. But the only reason that they survived is because they stayed within the body, they stayed together. So I don't wanna see any of you, other than Angela when she's in the corner doing the post for Instagram. When together, let us not try to isolate ourselves and walk away from the body. But let us remain together that no one gets left behind. Again, the team is only strong as its weakest link. If you're hurting, I'm also hurting. If I'm hurting, you're also hurting. If my leg is broken, then Daniel, your leg should be broken too. So, <laughs> eye for an eye, leg for a leg. Okay, so if I ever break my leg, we get to break yours. Yes, good, thank you. Half time. Again, the first half 
with yellow, and then the second half is orange. First half is be slow, second half is be quick. Okay, remember the phrase, when together. Let's go to number four. Number four tells us, be quick to honor. We are called to honor one another as Christian men and women of God. Just like the clip that we saw with Diego Mantriga, as he honored, we are called to honor our mates, the people who are next to us, who are running the race together. The world will say, to get ahead, to get ahead, cheat your way into victory. You want to succeed? Cheat. Do whatever it takes to get to that first place. But as Christian men and women of God, we're called to honor. However, as Christians, we're called to live a different type of life. As Christian men and women of God, we're called to protect, we're called to honor, we're called to sacrifice, and these are all good words. When it comes down to it, it's harder to actually put it into action, to live, to live with conviction, to put it into action, but we are called to protect, honor, sacrifice, stand up, and fight the good fight together and for each other. These are all good phrases, but again, we cannot do it if the Spirit of Christ, as it says, as we, if you remember back to Romans 8, if the Spirit of Christ isn't living within us, only the Spirit of Christ can help us to protect, honor, sacrifice, stand up, and fight the good fight together and for each other. Not standing on the sidelines, watching like spectators, but to be in the game and to watch out for one another. We know the story of the Good Samaritan found in Luke chapter 10. Again, Samaritan is an enemy of the Jewish people. Every individual who goes, they walk away and they don't help this individual who is in need. But this one individual, the Good Samaritan, he traveled and he sees someone in need and he honors this individual. The passage tells us that he took pity on him he didn't just say, he didn't just take pity on him. Oh, so sad. Oh, that's it. He took it. He put it into action. He bandaged his wounds. He put oils and wine, and he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he spent the night helping him. He took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Supposedly he's supposed to be an enemy of the Jewish people. But he was the one that took care of his neighbor. And Jesus asked this question at the end of this parable. He says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. They couldn't even say the Samaritan. Because again, they see them as enemies. And he's talking about the good Samaritan. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Behind the scenes, as we saw in Genesis 18, behind the scenes, Abraham, or Abraham, or Abraham in Genesis 18, he's Abraham in Genesis 13, but Abraham in Genesis 18, he pleads for Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Why? Because he's trying to honor his nephew, Lot and his family. And he's doing it behind the scenes. And Lot has no idea that Abraham is fighting for him. Some of us, we have people in our lives 
who are fighting for us and we don't even realize that they are fighting for us. There are two types of people. And again, I have two, before we get to two types of people, I want to I wanna get into sub-points. I have letter A and B. And again, number four, be quick to honor. Let's go to our sub-point, letter A. As family of Christ, genuinely fight for each other. And within that sub-point, there are two types of people. The first type of people is the one who pretends to fight for you. And the second type of individual is the one who genuinely fights for you behind the scenes and also in front of you. There are people who are good at looking like they're fighting for you, but are they genuinely fighting for you? Do they have your back? For example, if someone is talking smack about you or gossiping and you're not there, is that individual going to stand up and stand up for your name, for your reputation? Or are they going to just stay silent or even put more wood into the fire by joining into the gossip? Then you belong into the one who pretends to fight for that individual. Who are you today? And in my line of work, I've met all types of characters, personalities, different types of individuals, and you get to know people over the years. There are people who act one way in front of you and behind your back, they will go ahead and they, they will say toxic things about you. And the lesson here is do not associate yourselves with toxic individuals like these individuals. Protect yourselves, protect your family members, protect the, your loved ones from toxic relationships. And especially men, I want to speak with you. In a relationship, when you're in a relationship, in a relationship, man, you are the leader. Never in the sideline, never side, just be, just side with your partner, the person that you're dating, just because you want to please that individual. It's your job to lead in the right direction, and if it's going in the wrong direction, it's your job to put your foot down. Don't be blinded by love. If it's wrong, you have an obligation as a leader to say it is wrong. Do not compromise the conviction in doing what is right. Again, letter A, as family of Christ, genuinely fight for each other. Letter B, as family of Christ, genuinely represent Christ well. Not just for the sake of one another, your church, and also for your leader, but for Jesus Christ. This is the most important. You know, it's like when we go on mission trips and we're wearing our mission shirts, when our bags have the mission tags with our church's name, with our face on it, you're not just representing yourself, but you're representing the jersey, the team that you're part of. Ultimately, that team is what? It's the team is the, the team of the kingdom of God. We present Jesus Christ well. Share about the sticker on my Maxima car, which I don't have anymore. Back then, I, do, I did whatever when I was younger. When I was younger, I drove it however I want. I put cool body kits and all that. When I was younger, I did all that. But when I met Christ, I put that Jesus sticker. I couldn't speak because I knew what the sticker represents. I'm representing Christ. 
Never forget that we are representing Christ. As family of Christ, genuinely, we present Christ well. And this goes with when you were fellowshipping, when we were in the mission field, traveling inside a plane, eating together, driving, driving with someone. Right, Tony? A.K.A. Um, what is that called when you're... You drive like this behind the car? Tailgating? Yes, tailgater. Shopping. Let us watch what we speak. Gossiping. Let us be careful. And let us honor one another. Colossians 3, with this point, I'm ending with this. Chapter 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Can we add at the part when Tony says, um, I don't do that anymore too. I always do that. Something We'll get a recording of her saying, I always do that. That's me. Get her saying, that's me. Okay. <laughs> Point number five. Point number five. When together, be quick to worship. One of my favorite psalms this year is found in Psalm 34. Even Shane and Shane, the song that we, that we sing, right? Magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together, together. How beautiful it is when the people of God come together and we worship. I mean, there was a big difference, right, guys, when we were worshiping? At home during the pandemic, by yourself in front of the screen, I could just imagine, you know, Ronnie's like, <sighs> I mean, taking that. Oh, it's like five minutes left in the sermon. Worshiping together is what gives God. It makes Him so joyful and happy when He sees the people of God come together and worship together. It's beautiful, too, when we worship alone. But it's amazing to come together and worship together. Psalm 95, verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And Hebrews 10, not up on the screen, but it tells us to spur one another, spur one another toward love and good deeds, not giving up, meeting together. We're called to meet together. A lot of people are in the habit of not meeting together. Yes, the pandemic, yes, that's important, but we shouldn't live in fear. We should come together by encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approach. Reminds us in Hebrews 10. If you want to know the references, verse 24 and 25. And last point. And I'm closing with this, is be quick to pray. When together, be quick to pray. You know, one of my favorite things to do, you know, with you guys, yes, I love doing a lot of things with you, but one of my favorite things to do with our church is our prayer. You know, morning prayer, when we, I miss when we used to meet for morning prayer, you know, like prayer meetings, you know, we actually met together in a group setting, praying together. You know, some of the fondest memories that I have is us praying like in, like back when we didn't have a building. We were like nomads, like Captain America and Hawkeye and Black Widow. And we didn't, we didn't have 
really a place, a location to go. So we would meet in cars, prayer parking lots, parking lot. We turned into a prayer parking lot. Sometimes we would meet in cafes. We would journal our prayers. Or we would pray under the gazebo. I miss those days. And that's some, some of my fondest memories that I have of us together as a church. Because that is our foundation. And I wouldn't trade that for anything. Because those were priceless times. Just like the Israelites, when they were in the desert, they didn't have a land. They were on their way to the promised land, to the land of Canaan. But what, what happened? God provided them with quail and manna during the day, with food, water from the rock, at night with the, with the fire, with the, with, the, with the pillar of fire, and during the day with the cloud. They followed God, and that's how, we, that's how I felt during those, during, during those times. We were just nomads traveling, but we were getting to a destination. And look at the place that we have and the location that we have to worship God inside a church building here today. And this is our second week. And I wouldn't trade those memories for the world, for anything. So it's important that when we come together, that we begin, and even throughout our fellowship, even throughout our meeting, and we end with prayer. Life comes down to prayer. It's not about getting the answer of the prayer, but what prayer does, even when we don't get what we desire, what we want, even if things don't go according to the plan, the way that you pray, even if it doesn't go your way in the way that you wanted it to happen, what prayer does, it stirs our faith. And prayer, at the end of the day, is for you, it's for us. Because it draws us, it makes us hungry and grow closer to the heart of God. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Again, it's about the, the teachings that we learn from the Word of God. It has to be together, mixed in together with the Word of God and then prayer. A lot of times, that's why a lot of times when we don't know what to pray, we pray through the scripture. I recommend reading the book of Psalms because it helps us to pray, right? And that's how you end up finding a lot of your favorite Psalms, by looking at the book of Psalms. Matthew 18, verse 20 tells us, For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. And again, I don't, wanna, I don't want us as, as Deep Roots Church to misunderstand the context of this passage. A lot of pastors, if you, if you grew up in a church, you hear pastors say, before a prayer meeting, they say, they say things like, God, you're here with us. When two or three gather in your name, you're here with us. But the context of here, Matthew 18, is not really about prayer, but it's about church discipline. But I want us to remember 18 because even though the context of this passage is about church discipline, it's not 100% about coming together and praying together, but what we can take from this passage in Matthew 18 is that we come together and we take the matter to God. And how do we take our matter to God? We come together in prayer. Again, this passage is in the context of church discipline. But whatever it is, church discipline or worship or whatever, whatever different subjects are, it comes down to prayer. When we're eating, it comes down to prayer. Before we fellowship, it comes down to prayer. 
So no matter what we do, let it be about prayer. Let us be quick to pray. Right before Jesus, he was about to be crucified. What did Jesus do? What did he do? What did he do during his crucifixion when he took his last breath? He communicated with the Father. And that's what prayer is. You communicate. You speak and you listen. It's about communication. What did Jesus say as he was in the Garden of Gethsemane? I'm closing with this. He says in Matthew chapter 26, verse 40 through 41, Jesus, as he understands that the hour is coming near for him to die, his last day on earth, just imagine, maybe you're in the future, in our deathbeds, you know that death is drawing near. You live this good life, you live this life, and the end is coming. And we will all get there at at one point in our lives where we will take the final breath on this earth. And Jesus, knowing that his death is coming near, what does Jesus do? What does he tell his disciples, his close friends? What does he tell them to do? He tells them to pray. If Jesus prays, if he prayed throughout his life and his journey, in his ministry, what's our excuse as church to not pray? Let us not take lightly of our morning prayers. Let us not take lightly of our IPG and our Wednesday prayers because as church right now, we are called to pray. You must be quick to pray. Jesus says in Matthew 26, verse 40 through 41, he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. And what does Jesus tell them? Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, what does he say in 41? Let's all read it together. Ready? One, two, three. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You can't pray with your flesh, with your own strength. You pray with the spirit of Christ that gives you strength and endurance and motivation. It's the Spirit of Christ that gives you the conviction to wake up and to pray and to commune with God, with the living God. We live, we speak and we pray, we serve a living God, not a God who is dead. He hears the whispers of your heart. He knows the anxiety of your heart. He knows the weight that is on your mind. He knows all things. Therefore, let us watch and pray. Let us watch and pray. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Yes, the flesh is always weak. And at times, the flesh is too strong. But the way that we overcome the flesh is not through discipline. Discipline is just an outside, exterior thing. But it comes from the Spirit of God that gives you spiritual discipline that will give you the conviction to make the right decisions. So again, going back to our points, 
When together, be slow to anger. Number two, when together, be slow to becoming number one. Number three, when together, be slow to isolation. Number four, when together, be quick to honor. We're called to honor each other. Number five, when together, be quick to worship. And lastly, number six, when together, be quick to pray. With that, if you could just bow your heads with me at this time. If we have more time, uh, I would like for us to pray together. But due to the time, I'm just going to just close for us in prayer. Let's pray together. Father God, help us to watch and pray. Father, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Lord, we've been distracted. We've neglected your presence and who you are and who you have called us to be. Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves right now and repent. We ask God that you forgive us. Forgive us of our rebellion. And God, we look to you and we look to you alone. I pray, God, that as we end the service and as we give you all the glory, Lord, take all the glory for yourself. Use us. Use us as your clay. Mold us into the pots, into the individual that you have called us to be. Sanctify us, Lord, for we have been justified in Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It is Christ who lives in us as Deep Roots Church. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We give you all the glory. Pray all these things. Your precious Son, Jesus Christ, I pray. And God's people pray. Amen and amen.